Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. William Schufeld, we are warmed up here, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Get Over Yourself podcast had that unplugged version of finding out what makes this guy tick a fascinating discussion. And now you've come from this acting background and plunged deep into the health scene. So uh, go check out the website, right? WilliamShufelt.com. WilliamShufelt.com is uh, kind of like my acting self-promotion type website, but if you want to check out the carnivoreshreddingprogram.com, that's where I discuss my approach to getting as lean and ripped as you possibly can on a carnivore diet by not tracking and, and depriving yourself and not just starving yourself all the time and just training yourself into a pulp, but actually following a very intuitive approach and what you should be eating, what sort of training you should be doing. And um, actually, hats off to you and to Mark and the work you guys have done in terms of backing away from that, uh, I think you guys call it the black hole of of cardio, but it's like one of the pillars of my training program is zone two cardio. And that's something that I learned from you guys. And um, yeah, so hats off to you guys for that. Right. I guess that obsessive training will put you into uh, sugar craving, sugar burning mode. And that's, oh, yeah. that's what seems, I don't think everyone's fully embraced that as the problem is if you burn too many calories during exercise and your workouts are too stressful and depleting, um, it's not going to lead to the carnivore shredding of this. No. <laughs> what, what is it, 2.8 or 3.8% you got your body fat down? Yeah, so I, I did an in-body scan, and I was down at 3.8% body <laughs> fat. But the thing was, like, if I tell people what I was doing, like, I wasn't counting calories at all. I would incorporate intermittent fasting. I would incorporate these fasted workouts. And then my diet was basically a carnivore template but you you do have to moderate your fat levels. So you have to prioritize protein and you don't want to be eating too much fat because over time, you know, you will start to put on some body fat. Obviously, you want to cycle in the fat at some point. Otherwise, you know, we all know rabbit starvation and, and you're just going to get too lean. It's going to affect your hormones. You're going to have a lot of issues with that. But when I got down to 3.8% body fat, that was basically following just an intuitive listening to my appetite type approach. Training uh, in the morning, I'd be doing some zone two cardio, some resistance training, um, doing some intermittent fasting, and then I would have one or two meals a day. And I would basically be focused on beef, eggs, fish, and then some different supplements to bring in things that I thought I needed, um, things like collagen and, and calcium and stuff like that that we can get into. So when you were going for this ultimate uh, carnivore shred uh, picture, where did you start from? Like how much body composition change did you undergo? Um, honestly, I would just sort of hover in the same area. So that 3.8% body fat, um, I was probably chilling at like 5 to 6% on a daily basis, if I had to guess. Um, so getting down to that 3.8% would simply be just being strict with the food, you know, cutting the cheese out because cheese is something that just I put fat on with that because it tastes so damn good. That, that's the real issue for me. Um, but yeah, so just cutting out certain foods that are a little hyper palatable, uh, especially higher fat foods, um, sticking to the ones that I know will keep me lean and that'll support me. Um, and then, yeah, just incorporating that fasting. So usually it would take me about four to 
probably about four days to get down to that level because I never really increase my body fat. I always like to say uh, definitely under 10, but preferably like six to eight. Um, and, and then earlier last year, I was just obsessed with getting like as lean as I could and as shredded as I could. And now I'm trying to put on like more muscle and more mass. So um, I'm trying to eat a lot more now. But um, yeah, I always stay definitely under 10%. So it just takes a couple days of consistent effort. But fat burning becomes so much easier once you're utilizing ketosis, once you're utilizing um, sort of a lower fat approach. I don't want to say low fat because I don't believe in low fat, but if you actually moderate the energy calories and increase the nutrient density, the protein and the nutrients and the micros that you're getting from your food, um, I find that it really, really helps me with fat burning. Um, yeah, so utilizing the fasting, utilizing those dietary choices, and then using the right training. If you're overtraining and you're just spiking your cortisol, and like you were saying, you have these sugar cravings, um, I feel like your body is going to try to hold on to fat. You might get decreases in your T3 or in your thyroid hormone, and um, you might start to have your body fighting against you as it tries to hold on to this weight so it doesn't just shrivel up. Whew, so let's say our entry point is not quite... Uh... At, at high level yet. So we're just trying to see if we can make some changes to workout patterns and get down from 27 to 22 for the female or, or 50, uh, 21 to 15 for the male. I'm, mm-hmm. uh, I believe that uh, a male at 15 and a female at 22 is, is looking pretty darn good at the beach. Is that our reference point? And then anything down below, obviously uh, a male down below 10%, you're looking at the people uh, on the internet with their six packs, same mm-hmm. with the females down below uh, 20 but yeah, give us a little bit of context and like, let's let's take us through uh, if you were having a client that came to you that's in decent shape, mm-hmm. but maybe making some mistakes like chronic exercise and then trying to get the diet dialed. Yeah, so the first thing I would do is I would be looking at what sort of training they're doing. Um, and I think that you basically want to moderate the amount of resistance training you're doing. Obviously, it's glycolytic, it's anaerobic. Um, that has hormonal effects on the body that you don't want to be doing that every single day. So I would usually get people to about three days a week of resistance training. And then I don't like to incorporate zone two on top of that on the same days because I just don't know anybody that wants to be doing two hours in the gym. So I would usually have them alternating zone two cardio with that. Um, And yeah, I think it would just be basic. So usually I would just have people doing Stairmaster or walking incline on a treadmill, things like that. And they would incorporate those on the non-lifting days. So that's the basic template of the training. But with the resistance training, we're not doing powerlifting here. We're not doing um, really low weight or low rep heavy weight stuff. I find that you know, they have sarcoplasmic hypertrophy and then there's, I think it's myofibrillar, but basically you can either develop these really dense, extremely strong muscle fibers, which, you know, you get when you're powerlifting and doing these lower reps, or you can sort of develop this sarcoplasmic, it's, it's more of a full muscle. And this is what you see bodybuilders doing. They're, they're pumping a lot of reps and they're really pumping the muscle up. And that's what I encourage people to do on this sort of a program because for one, the muscles develop faster with that. And then I find that it has a more pleasing shape to it. It, it kind of looks better. Um, and yeah, so basically when I, w- when I tried to get as strong as I possibly could, I was so much stronger than I am now and I looked worse. So I thought that's really interesting. And I know a lot of really strong powerlifters, you know, in like low weight categories, like the 140, 150 guys, I'm like, I'm never going to be able to squat 
405, but I could have bigger legs than that guy. That guy still has very small legs for being able to squat so much and deadlift so much. So the type of training you're doing definitely matters. So I always advocate a bit of a higher rep, more moderate weight training. So I'll usually do anywhere from 10 to 15 reps, which is the so-called hypertrophy range, and then some more moderate weight increasing the volume. It's very consistent with what bodybuilders did in the golden era and in the seventies with Arnold and uh, Frank Zane and all these guys. Um, they usually started from a base of powerlifting early when they were young, and then they moved on to a lot more higher rep hypertrophy training. And that's how they really built their bodies up and their musculature. I also find that there's um, a decreased injury risk for that because as you start to push the limits of, you know, your genetic potential and doing these lifts, unless your form is perfect, you run a higher risk of injuring yourself. And I'm not trying to get people as strong as possible. I'm just trying to get people to have a six pack, you know, or like to, to achieve a sort of physique that they want to get. So we're trying to stay focused on that goal and not get too sidetracked by getting as strong as you possibly can. So that's, that's like the training aspect of it. And that's kind of what I preach in regards to that with diet. Um, that my diet uh, philosophy is heavily influenced by my experiences on the ketogenic diet and the carnivore diet. When I went onto a ketogenic style of dieting where it was moderate protein, I was probably 80, even maybe 70 grams some days of protein. How much you weigh? Uh, I think I'm around 160. I try not to weigh myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so low protein, yeah. Yeah, so... I would keep the protein pretty moderate there at 70 to about 100 grams. Um, I would keep the carbs obviously very low. Um, I think my total carbs would be at about like 25 or 30. Net carbs were probably much lower than that because it was just vegetables. And my fat was to satiety, which I thought was the way to go at the time. So I would just be drinking the fat, pouring it in whatever I could. And I, I had a philosophy that um, I think a lot of people shared at the time, which was the more fat you eat, like your body gets better at burning fat and suddenly you're just this amazing fat burning machine and you're so mitochondrially adapted to burning fat and MCT in this and coconut in that and butter in this. And over time I was like, I'm kind of getting like skinny fat. I, this isn't like really what I'm going for. I thought I was going to get shredded. And I, I saw a few guys on Instagram and YouTube that do keto and, and they're just an amazing they, shape. They promised me. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, this isn't really what I want. Um, and then I started to, this was actually before Sean Baker went on Joe Rogan. I, I started to scout around and I saw Zero Carb Zen and Principia Carnivora and all of these websites and Facebook groups. And I saw these people that were experiencing amazing results. Uh, Kelly Hogan was one of them and they have, I think, the Andersons and and people like that. So I realized, okay, so there's this like carnivore style of dieting um, and these people seem to be experiencing pretty good results. And I thought, maybe I'll give this a shot for a little bit. So I pretty much brought my diet all the way down to like a Vince Gironda steak and eggs type thing. So I just went down to like ground beef and eggs. That was the majority of my diet. And in a very, very short amount of time, like basically body composition flipped. So the fat started going down, but I was actually getting stronger in the gym without cha changing my training. Like all my lifts were going up and I was building more muscle and it was so heavily anabolic. Like I was, you know, like my body was changing so quickly. So I realized I was onto something there. And this was also really influenced by Ted Naiman as well. He's a huge proponent of, you know, higher protein, keep the carbs low, moderate the fat, go for nutrient density. So when I did that, 
um, huge changes in physique. And all of a sudden, almost effortlessly, I had this physique that I always wanted, but I wasn't hungrier than before. I was actually very, very satisfied. I had more energy. I had a much better gym performance. So I realized for the goal that I have, I actually want a bit more protein and I actually want to scale back a bit on the fat. The thing with higher protein, I think the major concerns a lot of people have are stimulating these growth factors, um, whether it's IGF-1, mTOR, um, just these things that could potentially, they could potentially indiscriminately grow, um, you know, cancerous cells, healthy cells, all these different things. It might be bad for longevity. The way I approach that is to just keep insulin and these uh, growth factors pulsatile. So to go through these periods of fasting where they come down, and I give my body some time to experience a state where, you know, I'm not eating five meals a day. I don't promote people doing that. I'll eat about one to two meals a day. So I spend a lot of time in the fasted state. And then when I have this uh, very insulinogenic, very anabolic environment in the body, it's usually after training. And that's when I'll eat this very high protein meal. The other thing I think a lot of people are concerned about is gluconeogenesis. And, you know, that, that argument has been gone into many, many times. You want to avoid that if you want to be in ketosis. From my understanding, ketosis is driven by hepatic glycogen. If your liver glycogen is low, you're going to be in maybe low-grade ketosis, but you'll be in some form of ketosis. You'll at least be metabolically flexible to be able to burn some fat. Um, And gluconeogenesis seems to refill muscle glycogen really well. Um, so if you're eating high enough protein, like your, your muscle glycogen is going to refill itself somehow. So it might leach from skeletal muscle, um, or it might come from your dietary protein. But if you're training hard and you're trying to build this muscle and refill muscle glycogen on a lower protein and low carb approach, you're in a tough state there. So I say up the protein and usually protein is, is very, very nutrient dense. If you're eating meat, eggs, fish, properly sourced, um, those aren't foods that I think you're going to run into a whole lot of trouble with, and they're they're all whole foods. Yeah, I think we have to couch this conversation. This might be irresponsible to say. I'm, I'm just speculating, mm-hmm. but we're talking about a, a, a pretty devoted athletic regimen. Yes. So William's eating too much protein. He's going to get cancer. Doesn't seem like it's going to add up. And I, I think Dr. Tommy Wood has talked about this with me, so I'm, I'm getting a, a basic understanding here that um, these risk factors of stuffing your face with extra protein and, and going through your life in that manner and you're going to spike these growth factors, you explained it really well where even even to protect against that uh, that risk, which is probably minimal when you're working out hard, you're going to have fasting periods. So it sounds like you're getting the best of both worlds because we're so excited about fasting and yeah. uh, the autophagy and the apoptosis and all these upregulated mm-hmm. health processes are going on and keeping the insulin low to live uh, a long time. And then at the same time, you're, you're pounding some delicious food and, and putting on muscle. It is trying to achieve the best of both worlds. And, and it's almost attempting to do, you know, it's like having your cake and eating it too. I want to be able to eat to satiety and I want to be energized throughout the day. And I want to have this amazing mental energy and focus and clarity. I'm not hungry. I'm not feeling hypoglycemic and, and shaky for some food, but I also want to be able to fast for a long time. I want to be able to eat these big, delicious meals like and be ripped and be shredded and all these things without tracking. So- and and I want uh, I also want a new Tesla and I also want uh, okay. <laughs> this program does not guarantee you a Tesla. You uh, just lost another sponsor. Dang. Damn. Um, but so it's it's this kind of crazy checklist of things that 
I would like the best energy and focus, ability to fast, great athletic performance, and amazing body composition with food that tastes great and not tracking. So it's a crazy checklist, and that checklist is what I try to check off in this program. Here is how you do all of those things, and here is how you can maintain a very lean and ripped body composition throughout the year. And that's sort of my goal. It it helps with acting. It helps with fitness modeling, and it feels good. Um, I really, really enjoy sort of maintaining this throughout the year. Uh, real popular in the whole YouTube and Instagram world is the bulking and cutting. And now it's time for my cut. So for the next however many weeks, I'm going to be on my fitness pal tracking my calories. And oh, look, I can fit chocolate and French fries into my cut. Isn't that cool? Flexible dieting. And it's like, well, those foods have no place in your diet. You know, if, if it's not nutrient dense, you clearly don't need it. If you're expending extra energy and you need energy calories, there are better places to get it from, but prioritize nutrient density. I think that's the most important thing. So I'm not a huge proponent of tracking meticulously all the time if your goal is body composition and weight loss, because I feel that you you want to make a lifestyle out of this. So tracking is sort of like a tricycle, which it's good maybe to start off with that and to get a ballpark of how much am I eating? How much fat am I really eating? How much protein am I eating? Um, you know, and what times am I eating these foods? How many meals a day? So it's good to start off with, but eventually you want to take that third wheel off and you want to be able to ride this bike. You want to make this a lifestyle. So you don't want to be able, you know, you don't want to be going out to dinner and you have to pull out an app to track this and then prick this and then check this and write this down. And it just becomes like, wait a minute, your goal was weight loss. Your goal was fat loss. You just wanted to feel better and look better and, and achieve this goal. And now you've become a mad scientist on yourself. So I think it's good to maybe start with some tracking but eventually, you, I think you want to relax with that and develop an intuitive approach. Well, you told me off the mic that part of the reason that we're so obsessed with tracking and, and, and biofeedback is to guarantee results, which is still going to be no guarantee. There's so many other variables. And I think the one variable that no one talks about is just the, the, the attrition and burnout from tracking too much and then giving up. And so if we look at like, you know, speaking of like the triathlon scene and the Ironman finisher, what's the five-year attrition rate where people do something that's so crazy and a poor fit for a hectic lifestyle anyway, and then they're, they're off the road entirely. And same with the, probably the keto scene has just spiked in popularity for however many of the last three years it's gone crazy, but there's probably a lot of people on the sidelines now who are going back to In-N-Out Burger. Mm. <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty true. Not, not just dropping their protein down from 120 back to 90, but just yeah. what a bunch of bullshit. This sucks and I, I got a new boyfriend and he doesn't care about this stuff so I'm I'm off the rails all the way as a fundamental uh, symptom of overtracking and overobsessing. There's a mental cost to those things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. It costs costs mental energy that you could spend on more oh. sleep or something. Yeah. That that you could be spending elsewhere. So what I'm trying to show people is here's how we reduce that mental cost. These are the guidelines you can follow. And then within that framework over time, I think you're going to discover what works best for you. But following this framework will get you to optimal body composition or, or my idea of what optimal body composition is. I think everybody has their own definition, but this will get you, you know, uh, everybody has their own definition. Uh, well, yeah. I, I mean, I think some people want to look massive. And my, my definition and, is very good now. Wow, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, come on. Um, I, I think that so lean body mass will go up, um, you know, and then your fat will go down. 
And those are those are great right there. So um, in terms of longevity, we were just talking about the cancer risk with increasing your protein. Um, you know, one of the best predictors of longevity, as as is often discussed, is basically avoiding that sarcopenia and having enough lean body mass. So yeah, that, that's kind of what I promote. And really, I'm just trying to push people to make the right choices on a daily basis, instill the habits, and then listen to their body from there. So can you put it in practical terms, how we best pair the fasting, the exercise, and the meals, and then mm-hmm. a little more detail on the, uh, on the complete uh, menu mm-hmm. of, your, of your carnivore phase. I, I don't assume you're doing this permanently, but if you talk about this carnivore shredding, mm-hmm. how's that all fit together optimally? I know it's probably going to vary between the individual, but I think yeah. there's some important patterns here and getting that best of both worlds Reminds me of Ben Greenfield saying where he spends, he banks a lot of hours in a fasted state, mm-hmm. does these crazy workouts, very fit guy. And then he says at nighttime, it's family time and they make all kinds of crazy stuff, including a ton of carbs mm-hmm. and he'll just eat whatever. And so making sure that he's restocked glycogen and all those great things for his ambitious workout schedule, but mm-hmm. also getting all that fasting time. So if, if I was to set up some guidelines, first thing, this is really, really simple, but just skipping breakfast, extending your overnight fast. Um, one of the easiest ways to just go through fasting, it's like a typical 16-8. So you get up in the morning, maybe you have a cup of coffee, you have some unsweetened 400 tea. calories of MCT oil in there. Oh, <laughs> no, maybe not. Oh. No, in, in my case, it's always black coffee. So I always say just keep the calories, you know, try not to have any calories during that fasting window. Um, one thing I will occasionally do that I, I was influenced to do this by Mark was including some collagen in my coffee in the morning because um, this is usually about the time that I'm going to go work out. And apparently, you know, having that collagen in there before you go work out makes it easier to shuttle to your joints, connective tissue, those areas that don't have a lot of blood flow. So I will occasionally put that in there. This but- show is sponsored by Primal Collagen. <laughs> Get your giant bag of unflavored or vanilla or chocolate. It's delicious in your coffee. Use code Carnivore Shredding to get 10% off. Hell yeah. That that doesn't exist, guys. Um, <laughs> we'll give you 10% off anyway if you just say William's name in the order notes. There we go. <laughs> we'll give you a free bag just because you're, you're you're pumping it. I, I might order some and say my name in the order You want notes. chocolate, vanilla, or, or, or all three? I like the plain because then you're drinking coffee. I don't know. I yeah. mean, uh, you put the plain collagen in. And I haven't, I haven't done that yet because I don't have any joint aches and pains. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, you know, I'm looking at my face in the mirror, all these wrinkles. I'm like, shit, maybe I should get some collagen. Come on. The the idea behind collagen for me is basically to balance out the methionine content of the amount of meat that I'm eating in the day. So getting the proline, the glycine, the nutrients in the collagen, I like to include that just to balance it out um, because I'm not eating a whole lot of connective tissue. I'm not, you know, gnawing on, on you know, uh, joints and all these kind of things throughout the day. So... I do try to get that in in the morning, but I'm using a hydrolyzed collagen and it dissolves really easily. And I think it's it's definitely under 50 calories when I put it in there. So, you know, I, I sneeze and I walk down the block and I'm fasting again. So it's it's very, very low calorie. And I think you can maintain a pretty solid fasted state, especially if you're going to go work out. So you skip breakfast, you have yourself a cup of coffee. Um, let's say you wake up at 6 a.m., So now, um, for me, I usually like to go for a fasted workout. You do not have to do a fasted workout. I think that you should include some form of exercise every day, but you don't have to do this fasted if if that doesn't fit with your lifestyle. 
So for me, I like to do a fasted workout in the morning. I'll go train and then I'll come back and I'll fast until about noon. Um, At noon, first meal I'll have, my diet is based around beef, eggs, and fish. Those are kind of like the staples. There are other things I include in there for nutrient density. So I will include oysters, um, I'll include uh, sardines, I'll include, you know, different types of seafood. I'll include once a week, I'll do about four ounces of grass-fed beef liver. Um, So there are some different things I incorporate in there. The beef is usually grass-fed, so I like to stick with grass-fed beef. I like to stick with pastured eggs, wild-caught, you know, seafood. Let's see what else I can add in there besides that. Um, Oh, one of the things I've been doing recently, because I decided to cut dairy out, and I seem to do best when I cut dairy out just in terms of body composition, skin, uh, energy, my mental state. So to replace the calcium that I'm not getting from that, and also some of the other nutrients, well, a true carnivore would be eating bones, and they would be eating you know, bone marrow and, and even the bone itself. Um, so what I do is I actually take something called whole bone calcium, and whole bone calcium, it's almost like ground up bone, but it's so fine. The powder is so fine that you can pretty much just put it in your mouth and down that you get a ton of calcium and you get all of the other nutrients, phosphorus, things like that, boron that you would be getting from bones without eating a bone, which is great. Um, so that's one of the things I incorporate. I don't really take many supplements. I do occasionally take that, uh, wild Norwegian cod liver oil, the lemon flavored. I think it's from Carlson's. I do occasionally take that to balance out omega-3s, but if you're doing this carnivorous approach, um, do pay attention to your omega-3s, pay attention to your food sourcing, pay attention to your nutrient spectrum and density. So when they say nose to tail, like you really have to care about that. I think organ meats are important. I think you know getting the nutrients from bones are important. Um, if you're just having grain-fed steaks all day, I think that's very suboptimal. And crappy and, eggs, too. Yeah, and crappy eggs. You can always the tell from watery, the color of the yolk. <laughs> yolk yeah, the, yeah. The, the, uh, the kind of, the, there's a gray film, and it's just dull <laughs> on, on a, on a um, conventional egg. I'm seeing that right now, and it's so sad. But, like, yeah, so you want to get these yolks that are really orange, because I think that's indicative of the carotenoid content in the yolk. Um, and which, which means the chicken ate grass, worms, bugs, things yeah. that are nutrient dense rather than just uh, eating the feed and, yeah. and laying a, a lame egg. I and, love when they say yeah. vegetarian fed chickens and it's like, like they, huh? <laughs> <laughs> they want some insects. The, these things aren't vegetarian. Is that a good thing? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, I'm trying to think about my whole diet as a whole. Um, so that's what I would be eating at noon. So I would have maybe some beef, maybe some eggs, maybe some seafood in there. And then I would be incorporating some of those supplements. So I would probably take the calcium. And then at night, I would pretty much eat the same thing. Like I really don't vary it a whole lot. I think if people want to incorporate chicken, turkey, turkey bacon, if they want to eat bacon, if they want to add in different animal foods, you can absolutely do that. But some of the most nutrient-dense ones are these ruminant meats, and then, you know, eating the eggs, which really is like an organ meat on its own. It's, it's a whole animal right there. And then including the seafood, I think that's a pretty good base to start at. And then you can include turkey, chicken, you know, things like that outside of that. I guess bone broth would be a big winner there because you are getting some of that joint material, collagen, glycosaminoglycans, all the things that you'd get if you had a the, the entire animal uh, or, or cuts of meat that are on the bone, but yeah, 
especially if you're limiting your food options to carnivore. Yeah, yeah. I, I think bone broth is a great addition. I do think it lacks some of the things that you would get from a bone meal. So I do think it's good to include some bone meal. Um, but, you know, bone broth is fantastic. Dinner, I'm pretty much eating the same things like I said. And both of these meals, by the way, I'm eating to satiety. So I'm prioritizing protein. They're not extremely fatty. So I'm not adding fat to this. And most of the fat that I'm getting is pretty much from the meat that I'm eating or the eggs that I'm eating. So I just stick with the natural fats that are already in this. I don't really add fat to it. Right. And so a general carnivore pattern is probably going to land at higher protein, lower fat than let's say a keto person who's putting the butter in their coffee and so forth. Yeah, I, I think that you can go higher fat on carnivore if you're really focusing on ribeyes and you're throwing a pat of butter on top and things like that. But I try to stay away from that. I don't go for the fattiest cuts I can get. Um, I'll usually try to go for maybe leaner cuts. And this is, I think it's the best way to just add libidum, eat to satiety, and stay lean. If you just stick with leaner cuts and you, uh, you eat to satiety and you get your fats from your eggs, you get some from the meat, you get some from the fatty fish, things like that. Um, that's a really, really good way to just slowly dwindle that body fat down. Um, so that's pretty much how I approach dinner. And then before I go to sleep, I'll have some uh, magnesium from the Com brand. and Pizza from Little Caesars. <laughs> <laughs> no, th- those days creep in there every now and then. Chelsea and I have been known to have our once in a while cheat days. So we do occasionally do that. It's not something I recommend. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much what a typical day of eating looks yeah, like Yeah, that was well said. I, I was joking because I saw that on your uh, interview off your website. And you, you don't recommend that out of the gate, but to have mm. that healthy way of indulging uh, down the line when you're, when you're locked in, who cares? So I, I, I saw you at the ice cream shop. What, what was going on there? I thought you were a carnivore. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah I thought you weren't, weren't a gossiper. So <laughs> <laughs> Just fire it right back at him. So what was the, the last meal or the last uh, food at, at nighttime you said? The last meal, I'll probably do a steak. Uh, I might do some eggs with that. Well, wait, is this, is this, you have lunch at midday, yeah. then you have dinner. Dinner probably at about 8 p.m. Oh, okay, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. and that's it. Okay. Um, now, some days, like today, for example, I'll probably only have one meal, so I'll probably just have dinner at about 8 p.m. I trained this morning at like 7, and it's like a pretty good fasting window today. And that's another great thing about this style of eating is you can fast for a while, and you're going to feel okay. Um, you're not going to feel amazing. Um, some days you'll feel amazing. Some days you won't. I find the number one thing that contributes to that is my sleep. So if I don't sleep much, fasting gets so much harder. Mm. It's very, very difficult to fast when you're sleep deprived. But if I'm sleeping well, fasting is just a breeze. So this is now getting some kind of underground popularity, the carnivore diet, yeah, massive detractors uh, in yeah. the mainstream because they're still ripping on uh, low carb and keto and not, not seeing the big picture, taking things out of context and, yeah. and all that stuff. Uh, but what would, how would you address someone who's reasonably um, well-informed but is looking askance at this because we know all the wonderful benefits of eating the leafy greens and the the fresh fruit and uh, the things that are missing and uh, arguably um, not you know unjustified to to drop leafy greens for any reason. Mm, that's a really great question. Yeah. So for the person that's not just throwing um, you know kind of poor arguments at this, the person that does actually care about 
what about the hormetic effect of plants? What about um, the nutrients that you're getting from these plants? What about the gut microbiome? Um, all of those different arguments. Well, I, I guess let's look at one thing first. So plants do have their defense mechanisms. So plants do have things that are designed to paralyze you know, insects and, and pests and things that would attack them. So they have their defense mechanisms, which if your immune system is compromised, I think that you're more susceptible to experiencing you know, the ill effects of those, the salicylates, the lectins, the oxalates, um, all of those different foods. And I think Dr. Gundry has done a great job of talking about that in his book. Um, if you have something like, for example, um, one of my parents has vitiligo, and in that uh, compromised immune system state, if you're consuming a lot of these plant chemicals, phytochemicals you can call them, um, they really might be doing a number on you. So I think that a carnivore diet is a great elimination diet to see how you would do without any of those. And I think that's where the magic of it comes in, where a lot of people are experiencing amazing results with autoimmune conditions. Um, and just things that they've had their whole life, Crohn's, um, acne, eczema, things like that, that they thought they could never get rid of. And as soon as they eliminate all plant foods and they focus on these very nutrient-dense animal foods, their results are amazing. So that's the first thing I would tell people to consider is that, yes, you absolutely can survive without plants. Um, I've done it for very long periods of time. Uh, there are plenty of other anecdotes. And then there's obviously these ancestral uh, communities that did it to some extent, now, one of the arguments that people might say is that, well, no, this really hasn't been done um, you know, in terms of ancestral communities. The Inuit were eating some berries and they were eating, you know, they were drinking some tea and there was some carbohydrate in the the whales and, and things like that. Not the whales. What were they eating? The seals. Seals, I guess. yes. Yeah. <laughs> they were eating whales. Um maybe if they were lucky, it caught some whales. Possibly. I, I think that. So yes, you would get that glycogen, you would get that glucose, you would get those sugars when you could and the plants when you could, but there were probably long periods of the year where you didn't have access to those. So you would basically be existing in this carnivorous state and you'd be thriving. Um, they obviously had pretty great health from what uh, Wilhelmer Stephenson said. So I think that there are cases where people have done pretty well on this. And then the next thing I would say is, if you feel that you do benefit from vegetables, um, from plants, from fiber, things like that, add those in slowly and just see how you do. You know, there, there's no reason to be dogmatic about it. Ultimately, you need to know your goal. So rather than jumping on the carnivore bandwagon and, you know, you want to join a community and, and it's like, oh, sweet, I'm a carnivore too. Let me change my Instagram handle. Um, just think about what's my goal. So is my goal body composition? Okay, let me do this carnivore diet the way it's laid out and let me follow this and see if I reach my goal. Okay, I've reached my goal. Now I want to add in these certain plant foods. Add those back in and see if you're still at your goal. So like we, we, talked, we talked about this extensively on the previous podcast, but focusing on your goal will help you make the right choices for your situation. If you're joining Carnivore just because you're so convinced by the, the amount of information and the anecdotes and all of those kind of things, I think you're doing it for the wrong reason. Um, do it for yourself, basically. Well, it seems like if there's still some frustration with excess body fat, mm -hmm. You're a relatively healthy specimen. I know there's some concern about 
doing a dietary transformation if you're not in good health. Uh, Chris Kelly mm. and Dr. Tommy Wood at Nurse Balance Thrive talk about this all the time. Don't try to lose weight until you're metabolically healthy or you'll yeah. tank your thyroid and your adrenals and all these horrible stories we hear from people and then they'll go trash uh, a low-carb eating pattern in general because it didn't yeah. work for them and made them tired. It's because they started with a leaky gut syndrome. So let's say yeah. you have a healthy, healthy person who's exercising, sleeping, trying their best to get through life, why not, why not make an experimental phase and see if you can get that body fat off with something, something limiting like a carnivore diet? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, same for vegan. People who go vegan have an incredible explosion in health, energy, even weight loss because they've limited their previous dietary options and thereby are getting all these benefits like turning down the insulin dial that's been on overdose their whole life and so mm-hmm. forth. I think... So I was vegan for almost four years, and when I started it, like I, I did this thing by the book. I, I experimented with a lot of different forms of it, but I, I eventually settled on a whole foods, plant based. I was eating, you know, uh, grains, beans, nuts, seeds, legumes, um, leafy greens, cruciferous veggies. I, I was including everything, getting my DHA in, the B twelve, um, all of the things that you need to supplement. And when I started with this, I felt amazing for maybe about six months. I I felt pretty good. And then slowly over time, I got worse and worse and worse. And basically the most, the worst symptom that I was experiencing besides huge bloating and just gas and just digestive discomfort. Well, that's normal, William. Oh, (laughs) I should have known. (laughs) I've actually heard that argument coming up lately. Like, you know, you should just get used to farting more. And I was like, eh, I don't know. Um, none of us are going to get used to it, (laughs) but so basically I was experiencing severe hunger. That was the worst part of it. Like I would eat until my stomach was distended and I was so full and I was still hungry and I could continue eating. And I was thinking, this isn't normal. I can't eat any sort of normal portions. I can easily down like about 4,000 calories here and I'm still hungry, but I'm bloated and I'm uncomfortable. So there were clearly some nutrients that my body was not getting that it needed. So I would compensate by over-consuming calories. I think when you focus on nutrient density, you don't have to consume as many energy calories because your body is satisfying that nutrient requirement and the protein requirement that it has. So then you can kind of economize a bit more and you can get less energy calories because you're not scavenging all of these foods just to get what you need. So that was kind of the experience I had with it. Um, you were mentioning something else about people trying these different diets. Oh, from, from basically an unhealthy state. So if you're coming from a a background of deprivation, or if you already have existing health conditions, or you're coming from an unhealthy diet, you're almost malnourished in a way. You probably have some deficiencies in certain nutrients. So now if you go on to this restrictive sort of fat loss diet, even if it's the carnivore diet, if you're really trying to restrict yourself and you're like, I'm going to fast like hell and I'm going to train like hell and do all these things, you might start to exacerbate you know, those underlying conditions that came from your past two years of eating and living. So what they always recommend with carnivore is basically you know, start out and just eat and heal your body. Um, and then over time, you can focus on fat loss. Right. Don't worry about the caloric deficit. So eat the eggs and the fish and the yeah. the beef that you need uh, to satiety. And um, I, I, I've heard some voices, some experts talking about 
that maybe fasting is too stressful for certain individuals. So I guess you could, yeah. um, you know, do your carnivore thing as needed uh, in, yeah. in the morning, uh, noon, and night, or whatever. But boy, that appetite regulating effect kicks in pretty quickly. Yeah. Whereby it, it's no trouble to fast because you haven't spiked insulin uh, all day long the previous day and day before that. Eating to satiety and listening to your body while you're fasting are so important. You can try to fight yourself with this and you can undereat and you can try to tell yourself, no, I'm good. I'm going to go drink two glasses of water after this meal. That's working against your goals. You can try to push yourself on a fast and you're extremely low energy and you're lightheaded and you're starving and you really want to eat, but you're like, no, this is good for me. If you feel like crap, it's probably not good for you. You might need to rest more. You might need to eat a healthy meal. Your body has some legitimate needs at that moment. And I think that, you know, you have to meet those. So yeah, it's it's something that that's why I really, really preach an intuitive approach. It's something that you do need to listen to your body. If you have to eat, you have to eat. If you need to rest, you need to rest. So people, this is Power Ranger talking where you got to yeah. fit in that suit, man. So your stakes are high. I mean, no kidding. Stakes you are know? high. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I like the, the stake level is high. I like that. Uh, but, you know, there's same, same with an athlete who has to be at performance weight or they, mm-hmm. they lose their financial bonus so they, don't, they miss the starting lineup, they don't get their contract. And so even with your uh, you know, extreme attention to diet peak performance and maintaining healthy body composition, you're still advocating for an intuitive approach. Yet we have people who are in a recreational mode with no stakes whatsoever, and they're overdoing the self-quantification and the suffering and the struggling. So making that point about fasting, yeah, it should, it should never feel like a struggle. I think all fast should be natural mm-hmm. in... In their, in their nature. So, you know, when we hear our stomach growling, like Dr. Kate Shanahan taught me, the growling of your stomach is the hormone ghrelin taking effect and causing intense sensations of hunger. And I think from a psychological perspective, for sure, when you ignore that and you fight through it and battle through it, you will have a rebound effect at some point. Yeah, very, very true. There is a strong weight rebound. Whenever you do any sort of deprive and, and hold yourself back, over time, um, there's this great saying from Martin Burkhan. He says, sooner or later, hunger comes to collect. And that's the truth. It does, and you will start to put weight on. So if you start a carnivore diet or a ketogenic diet or any style of dieting where you're trying to eat very healthy and you start to gain weight, you might have been underweight to begin with, or your body might you know, just be recompensating and trying to get what it needed for so long. So that's the last thing people want to hear when they're you know, trying to lose fat. But it's kind of like you have to be patient and don't go for the instant gratification. Just know, okay, I'll just follow this plan over time and eventually the results will come. But it comes from a result of just consistently following it. You can keep trying to push yourself, but you'll just push yourself into a wall and you won't get where you want to go. Well, the results will come so easily too. It's, it's a little frustrating yeah. to see how much pain and suffering is going on out there. And if we just did the hard work to build the metabolic machinery, as Mark Sisson says, to be good at burning fat, then I I imagine like you, you're just putting your hand on a dial and saying, I'm going to get down from 6% to 3.8 because I got some photo shoots coming up and then Mm -hmm. I'll I'll take a vacation and allow things to get back to whatever baseline. But um, we can act like the the, the Hollywood star who's who's building their physique into the role by, by, by demand. That that's exactly why I get so excited about this. So it's like it is easier than people think. Once you have the right strategy and approach and you have some practice doing it and you've built the habits, it's, it's easier than you think. For me, like 
previously, if I wanted to get down to 5% body fat, it would have been hell. As a vegan. Oh, as a a vegan, it was nearly impossible, but it would have been hell. So it's caloric restriction. Vegans at 5% body fat or under, please send your photos to the email, getoveryourselfpodcast (laughs) at gmail.com. And prove me wrong. (laughs) Um, But it's really, really difficult to do that without some form of severe restriction in some way. And you feel pretty crappy the whole time. And that's something that a lot of diet gurus and fitness and Instagram gurus tell you. Well, when you're cutting, you know, you are going to kind of feel hungry and you are going to kind of feel like crap. But the thing is, like, nowadays when I tell people, I feel so good, I have so much energy, I eat to satiety, I feel great, and I can bring my body fat down to 5% if I want to, and it, it'll take about five days. And people are like, no, that no, guy's no. Full of, that guy's full of baloney. He's suffering. I, I know it. He must be. <laughs> that, that's what a lot of people think. And, and it's crazy. Like I, Chelsea has seen this, and I guess I have no other eyewitnesses besides Chelsea, but it's like... Um, I'm still nice to her, I swear, even though I'm <laughs> fasted. <laughs> it's like, it's very, very possible to do. Um, but you want to be prioritizing nutrient density, work with your body, incorporate intermittent fasting, and... Yeah, just follow that approach over time. Don't train yourself to a pulp, and it'll happen. When you when you work against your body and you force it, that's when bad things happen. Oh, speaking of the training, I had a couple questions like on yeah. those resistance workouts that you described where you're in the um, in-between weight, not the heavy weight, mm-hmm. the little higher reps. What's the total duration of the workout? Usually it's around 45 minutes. So yeah, usually it's just a 45-minute workout. Um, I follow a sort of a very typical bodybuilding split where I'll do shoulders and back one day, I'll do chest and arms the next day, and then I'll have a leg day as well. So yeah, it's basically doing those. Um, in the program, I basically outline an entire workout for you to do, and then it alternates um, over the weeks. But what I do currently is I literally go in, I know it's chest and arm day, and I just think, what do I want to do? <laughs> so I'll, I'll come up with two exercises. I'll superset a chest exercise, an arm exercise. And I'll say, I'm going to do that for five sets. And then within that, that's where the intensity comes in. So I don't have anything written out. So I'm going to push myself as hard as I can with those. So I'll either be doing more weight or more reps. And I'll keep it as intense as I possibly can, bring the rest periods down. There's a number of ways to increase intensity. But to me, that's what makes it fun, and that's what turns it into a game. If I had a written you know, workout, then I could be um, pretty much overdoing it, or I could be underdoing it. So mm. that's why I like to sort of have that intuitive approach nowadays. And that's, that's really what I'm all about, um, just having fun with it. And that's where the results have came for me. And the zone two cardio, how is that uh, in heart rate terms? So for me, usually I try to stay in the 150s, um, 23 and you know 180 minus that. So I usually stay in the 150s, and I've been doing it for a good while now where I think I've built up my zone two. So yeah, I, I usually stay very in the comfortable. 150s. Yeah it's, yeah, it's very, very comfortable. It's, it's a great time to do other things and get your mind off the time. <laughs> um, that's usually when I'm listening to audiobooks or podcasts or things like that. So tell me about this book. When's it coming out? Uh, with with Neiman and uh, what's the, uh, the the overview there? Our goal, so we don't have this set in stone yet, but our goal is to get it out early next year. Um, and yeah, so this book is really going to cover the fasting, the diet, and the exercise. And we're going to make this as simple as possible for everyone. The simpler, the better. But 
I want this to be so that my mom or my dad could pick this book up and say, oh, that's easy. Okay, I just drink coffee for breakfast. I'll do this 15-minute bodyweight calisthenics workout, and I'll eat these foods. Um, and then over time, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to improve all of my biomarkers. My health is going to get better. And this doesn't take a massive investment. And that was the main thing. We just feel like people think that it takes such a huge investment of time. You need to get the gym membership and then you need to be in there for two hours and you need to be eating this very specific diet. Um, but it's a lot simpler than that. You install the right habits and then you do them over time. I, I encourage doing these daily. Um, and then the weight loss and these things will come. So that's pretty much what we're working on right now. But yeah, we don't have a release date set yet. So for now, we can go to carnivoreshredding.com and get on this get on this program with a lot of guidance from you. Yes, indeed. So the carnivoreshreddingprogram.com. Um, and on there is the eight-week carnivore fat loss plan, which is my approach to losing fat on the carnivore diet. You get eight weeks worth of workouts, exactly how to structure your meals, what foods to eat, what supplements you should be considering on this, how to make sure that you're not experiencing nutrient deficiencies, um, all of those sort of things. And then I also uh, recently started doing consults. So you can get uh, like a 30-minute consult on there where you tell me about your life and your marriage. I want to make it in Hollywood. <laughs> how do I do it? Exactly. So I'll, I'll tell you exactly how to do that. No, that's, that's oh, a long Seriously, story. you're doing sort of a, um, a a coaching role where you're getting a big picture rather than just focusing on the workouts and the no, eating? No, it, it's, it's diet and nutrition. Yeah, it's, it's fitness. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a life coach now. After that first 30 minutes, then we'll, we'll, we'll talk further if it's, if it's not yeah, working out. Yeah, exactly. All right, consults, a full program. You got it going on, man. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank I, you. I appreciate I your fun. thoughtful approach. I think it's, we're, that's where we're, hopefully we're headed in this sensible direction where intuition is the key and being responsible, not not going crazy, but trying out some new things. In your case, it's working well. Making it a lifestyle, absolutely. William Schufeld, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on. Dun, 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 dun. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. It's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my god! So she likes like the mayo on. A oh yeah, she so she loves those. So we love them as well. We have uh, we we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo. We eat the balsamic. We eat the the ranch. Um, the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so you know that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.